welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Before we get started today, just a quick reminder to sign up for my newsletter at jasonpereira.ca, where you will receive notifications of all my various podcasts and television appearances. Now on to today's show. Today, I brought on Trevor Perry, president of TRP Strategy Group. Trevor is one of the more respected tax and estate planning experts in the country. And I brought him on to discuss something called postmortem planning. This is basically planning for what happens to your investments within your holding company when you pass away. Sounds pretty dull, but quite honestly, If you don't do it right, the tax rates are extortionate. And planning correctly does involve complexity. So I'm gonna warn you, we get pretty deep on this. There's a lot of tax talk and it's a lot of heavy lifting. But if nothing else, take away the fact that you, if you're in the situation, you should be seeking out the right advice. And with that, here's my interview with Trevor. Welcome, Trevor. Good morning. No, thanks for taking the time. Thanks. Wonderful to be, to be here. Yes. Well, it is morning. I offered you scotch and you declined because you're not that kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a problem if you admit you have. Exactly. So, uh, Trevor Perry, tell us about who you are and what it is you do. I am uh, the self-described tax mercenary. So I am a lawyer by training, collected a couple of tax degrees over the last few years, and I have a religious devotion to helping entrepreneurs prudently and safely save money from our dear friends in Ottawa who have uh, different intentions regarding tax rates. Yeah, um, I think they've demonstrated that different intention on multiple occasions. It keeps coming up on the podcast. So the reason I brought you on is to discuss something called postmortem planning. So I already talked about basically business owners, corporations, capital gains exemption, and basically why you need to have shareholder agreements and what happens when you die if you're a business owner. But let's talk about, that's an active corporation. Let's talk about what happens when I'm a successful business owner and I've got a holding company that I've amassed a bunch of money into it. So let's use some simple numbers. We'll use, you know, I basically managed to amass 2 million in there Mm -hmm. and I grew it to be 3 million. So I've got a, a large gain there. So I pass away and there are actually multiple levels of tax at play here that people don't stop to think about. So tell me what happens sure. if I pass away and, and nothing gets done. And just as an aside, it's not just business owners. The vast majority of uh, physicians in yes. Canada are incorporated. And when they cease practicing, those medical professional corporations basically become passive holding companies. Yep, that's so, right. so it's pervasive uh, where, where this, this threat is can be realized. So we have no estate tax in Canada, unlike the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have the peril of double taxation. And very simply... You're deemed to have uh, disposed of or sold all of your assets the moment before death. Mm -hmm. Spouse can elect a a rollover, but if there's no spouse to roll things over, there is a tax bill due in your terminal return. And basically, it's a capital gain. Currently in this province, 26.7. And there are, of course, rumors of inclusion rate increases, which if the government goes to a 75% inclusion rate, your capital gains rate is uh, 40%, which is, I mean, in the investment business is terrifying enough because you're going to be triggering substantial sums. But yep. uh, at death, it's it's quite large. I mean, this is the, the point people miss because the, the much maligned 1%, uh, we try to identify those folks who are in it. Well, any individual who's truly middle class at the point of death is absolutely part of the 1% and the government knows it. So you face a, uh, the first hurdle is, is the uh, is the deemed disposition. That's a capital gain. 
gain. So some of the shares that I own in the corporation and all likelihood, I started that corp with next to nothing. So I've probably got a cost base of zero or right. let's call it one, a nominal amount yep. per share. So I've got a cost base of one, whatever the company's worth, again, three million. Now those shares are worth three million. That's right. Right. So I've got a two point nine 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 million dollar gain. Yeah. At capital gains rates of let's say between twenty seven and forty percent. That's just the first leg of tax. Remember, yeah. corporations are legal persons. They survive you. Mm-hmm. So though the value of your shares has now been counted in your terminal return, assuming no rollover, you still have to deal with or your estate has to deal with that corporation. We assume that the estate has done the proper filing so that it's a graduated rate estate, which is critical. You need to look at all key documents to make sure that's done. But what will happen is that if the intention and wish of the now deceased entrepreneur or physician was to pass their life's work onto their next generation, then in order to do it, we have to dispose of the company. We've got to wind it up or yep. we have to wind up their shares in it. And that's another leg of tax. That's a deemed dividend. And the deemed dividend will be taxed in one of two ways, either an eligible dividend or a non-eligible dividend or a bit of both. Most of the time I see a sprinkling of both. And so I use in Ontario roughly a, an estimated rate of 45%. Now, there are people in our industry, unfortunately, who are, uh, you know, they like to terrify people by saying, if you don't do anything, uh, you're going to pay, it's very likely you're going to pay double tax. Well, I would argue that's negligence. People don't act without planning. So what happens is very simple. You have a choice. And with with prudent, tried and true planning that's been around for decades, you can really elect uh, what tax liability you want to pay. Is it capital gains or is it dividends? So it's mm-hmm. a bit like Monty Hall and let's make a deal. Do you want door number one, door number two? And in fact, there is a door number three. Well, let's just go stop for a sec. So the, the big issue, I mean, as we said, the corporation is a separate entity. And what people have a hard time wrapping their heads around sometimes is that that $3 million investment I had in the corporation, which had the $2 million capital gain, that gain does not get realized when I die. And what you're talking about is getting that passed on to the next generation. It's about taking that $3 million and passing it on to the kids. Well, I just paid on my shares tax. About 800 grand. And exactly. Then-, then the corporation hasn't even realized the capital gain on the, the investment it's got. So there's your double taxation. And then the, never mind the fact that you have to flow that through as a taxable dividend to, yeah. to the kids. And, and that's so- going to be, if, we, if we're at 45% or something like that, there's you know $1.4 million of your three gone. Yeah. And the trick here is that, if you're going to wind up the company and you do this within the first year of the uh, since the creation of the estate, so let's say within a year of death, mm. you can do what's called a loss carryback, mm. and and that's complex, but it's common planning. And uh, again, you need the right experts to put it together. But what in essence happens is that when the shares are bought back from your estate by the corporation for the purposes of winding up the company, that's called a share redemption. Mm-hmm. That triggers a capital loss. And that capital loss can be carried back. You have to refile your... your so I was talking about where does the capital loss come from at this point. So I Capital died. loss has been suffered by the estate. So your $3 million of shares have been redeemed, creating in essence a $3 million loss or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Substantial loss, usually equivalent to the capital gain that you paid upon yeah. death. Well, then it's logical. It's section 164, subsection 6 of the act. We, within a year carry that loss, trigger the redemption, carry carry the loss back. And if everything goes perfectly, and it will, we've eliminated at least the first leg. We've eliminated yep. the capital gain, but we're left with the so dividend. The capital gain on the triggering, the triggered capital gain that happens when you die on the value of the shares. Essentially, you pay it when you die, but the estate gets the loss. It all wipes out and that's, and that's zero. Exactly. Okay. So that is, is share carryback, uh, or sorry, uh, loss carryback uh, share redemption strategies. And that's what we see all the time. And that is, by the way, the default strategy that if, 
our wonderful government decides to muck around with capital gains rates, we always have that. Because there is another strategy. As I said, there's three doors. If you would prefer to pay capital gains, what we want to do is eliminate the dividend. And that's done by something called a pipeline transaction or a bump transaction. Mm -hmm. And pipeline transactions have been around for years. Uh, the government has provided a wonderful, substantial guidance on how to do it. It basically involves creating a new corporation, issuing debt, per, uh, and having the, uh, the estate take shares in debt in return for absorbing or amalgamating the mm -hmm. original corporation into the new co. Yeah. And as you know, what will happen is it bumps up the value of the so shares. So my kids set up a new corporation. Yeah. They basically acquire the shares of my corporation from the estate in exchange for a loan payable. Yeah. And then they basically amalgamate both corps into one new corp. Right. And then they repay the loan. Yeah. Yeah. So that will result, it takes, you know, between 36 and 48 months to properly yep. execute, but that will result in capital gains. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting here saying today, well, we have four years and we'd rather pay 26 and change rather than 48, Eight. yeah. um, you're going to do pipeline. There are some issues with pipeline. I mean, in the wonderful uh, Morneau proposals of a couple of years oh. ago, it would have wiped out pipeline. There are forces inside of CRA and finance, although I believe them to be in a minority that don't like pipeline. They could characterize it as surplus stripping and things like that. But for at least two decades, they have given us very clear guidance. And these transactions, as so long as they're not abusive, if executed correctly, are fine. So you really have two options. There are ways to enhance those further. And it usually involves the use of life insurance, particularly when you look at a loss carryback. Let's talk about the sort of stuff. So if I do nothing and I don't, I don't know about this, I don't even know about the carryback, I'm going to pay 26% on the value of the share's growth. Then I'm going to basically trigger the gain within the corporation to get the money out and then pay 48 on the way out. Right. Right. And so essentially we're looking at when you add this all up, you've seen numbers that exceed 70% of the amount. Well, that's where if you if you did it outside if you, if of- If you knew nothing about yeah, what was if, going on. If you on. left, let's say an individual passes and they don't go to a competent professional yeah. until 18 months after. Now you're paying double tax. But that happens. And I it mean, does happen. It happens all the time, right? So if in that in that worst case scenario, you're paying double tax, your tax rate, you know, that $3 million, 70% of it just disappears. Yeah. So door number one, as we said, was the carryback. So in which case, the first level, level tax gets wiped out. The second level tax is dividends, in which case now we're at 48, which still is pretty substantial. Yeah, we're looking at it. almost and again, you're going to get some. There. You'll get some eligible dividends. So I usually yeah. it's 45. Yeah, plus some uh, capital dividend account. But and you get your you get your refundable dividend tax on hand back. So yeah. there's some there are some benefits. Yeah, um, and then we just established number three, which was the capital gain scenario with right. with the pipeline. So tell us about door number four. Well, door, door number three is door, door, right. door number three. Door yes. number three is a is a modified. Uh, we call it. A, it's a hybrid. And we use a bit of both and, and we, right. we put on our wizard's hats and show people the secrets of the temple. But it usually involves the use of life insurance. Mm -hmm. The reason is, as you know, life insurance will pay based on uh, the age of the individual, the cost of the insurance, the, the adjusted cost base of the policy. It creates, as we know, create uh, capital dividend credits. Yes. Capital. After we talked about them briefly yeah. in other shows, but the good thing about capital dividend credits is those can come out to the shareholders tax-free at any time. And normally that's the portion of taxable gain, capital gains that are not taxable, so 50%. But when it comes to insurance, that number is way higher yeah. and can eventually reach the entirety yeah. of the policy. Canada, amount. without a doubt, has the most positive rules and regulations in the G7 when it comes to permanent life insurance. If you mm -hmm. read between the lines of the Income Tax Act, anybody with wherewithal, with wealth, should be putting this stuff Interesting, in Interesting, given the fact that our first prime minister both was also prime minister and ran Canada Life at the same time. Yeah. yeah there's uh, conflicts of interest. We've wrote the book on that. So um, Continue. So, so what happens is that 
when particularly we look at the share redemption strategy. You have to be aware of some very technical rules called the stop loss rules. So it would not make sense out of any sense of fairness that you could take a whole bunch of money you received now tax-free and use that whole bunch of tax-free money to redeem all of your shares. Yeah. So they created these rules to equalize. And so in this scenario where we have no ability to roll over the shares, so it's the estate of the deceased, and we have a payment to the corporation of insurance proceeds, which has created a credit to capital dividend. We can redeem up to half of the shares or half of the loss created by redemption through capital dividend. If we go more than that, we're going to start to lose. They're going to stop loss rules will be triggered. We're mm -hmm. going to start to, to disallow or eliminate our, our capital loss. So it allows you effectively, if the redemption was three million bucks and you have a million and a half of capital dividend, well, logically, your dividend tax rate just went from I use 45 down to 22 and a half. Yeah. That's better than capital gains rates. It's and so for those of yeah. the, the people who are worried about an inclusion rate increase, there is hope. But you have to be prepared and you've got to be able to look at, at the numbers and, and, and understand how things are being created. Now, the true door number three where, is where we start using elements of both. And in that instance, we are looking at a reorganization of the company, a very small one at the time you're putting the insurance in place, mm -hmm. often to issue what we call special class insurance shares or skinny shares or whatever we want. But mm -hmm. these track the cash value of the uh, of the policy. Mm -hmm. They uh, will be entitled to receive, subject to directors, the capital dividend credit. They will also prevent the cash value from being added back in to the proceeds of deemed disposition at death. So if you had a $5 million cash value in a policy yep. that you put in place with good conscience and good planning to cover off tax liabilities, guess what? $5 million bucks gets added to your, in, gets, to your yeah, deemed disposition. It gets paid into the corporation, yeah. it increases the value. But in this case, those that cash value is being attributable solely to those shares. Who are going to be owned by your beneficiaries. Exactly. So, And then if we're doing a pipeline, we capital dividends have no relevance in a pipeline, so you simply pay out the capital dividend credit through mm -hmm. the special shares. So you've now effectively been able to reduce or somewhat slow the growth of the company because you're not adding this money money back mm -hmm. in. So, so that's great because we've now reduced our deemed disposition. Now we want to deal with the, the deemed dividend factors and we still want that because if you have a passive investment holding company, as you know, you're most likely giving rise to the creation of a refundable dividend tax on hand credit. Yeah. You don't want to give that to the government. And if you do a pure pipeline effect, you do. So, yeah. And for those of you who want to refresh on that, there was my episode with Kim Moody, where we talked about those notional accounts. Pay close attention because those are very important. And uh, yeah. he's a snappier, snappier dresser than I am. So It's, uh, a, it's, a, it's a pretty close race. <laughs> he's, he's, he wears more bright colors. Yes, he does. Yeah. The key is to get your RDTOH uh, balances back in. So yeah. by starting with perhaps we'll do some share redemption to reduce our already reduced uh, deemed disposition that will further reduce our, uh, our our effective first leg of tax, and then we will execute pipeline to take out the remaining dividends. So again, each case is is uh, different. The older you are, the numbers aren't as. Uh, powerful in certain mm -hmm. instances, I've seen them where folks are in their 80s and it just doesn't work. So you're mm -hmm. left with really the the share uh, redemption loss carryback or pipeline, and you don't mix the two. But mm -hmm. the key is really to be able to whiteboard it to because tax at the end of the day is connect the dots, right? Exactly. And checklist. And so well, there's no one silver bullet here. We're combining a bunch of strategies, comparing different strategies to fit the situation, right. and determining what works best for the client. And and the ability to pivot and the ability to provide Absolutely. prudent and flexible planning because yes. if our dear friends eliminate the ability. To pipeline, then we are left with share redemption, and certain facets of the uh, of the hybrid will not. 
not become manifest. Yeah. So we always want to be able to not lock a client into planning rigidity. Yep. No, it makes sense. So, I mean, we are talking about pretty big disparities. We're talking about rates that with no knowledge and no proper advice, you know, you're looking at losing in the 70s of that $3 million. In the 80s, if they the go eight, to a 40% time. Yeah, in the okay. 80s, if it goes to the 40%, I mean, that's, uh, God, that's Marxist enough. is what it is. Well, yeah, I mean, even even the former head of the NDP said anything north of 50% is confiscation. That came from the NDP. I'm, I'm sure they've thrown him out of the party. Well, so. yeah, he's no longer running it. <laughs> anyway, so, so there's that. All the way down to... Basically, the twenties we're talking about the low twenties. Oh, so do you get teens? Yeah, to you the can teens, get teens exactly right. Like we've seen these cases where they get below twenty percent, and like well, when you think about, I mean, first of all, it's unfair to the average consumer. The the tax code is so complex that literally. And Jason, you can actually, yeah. in certain instances, again, if you get the client, if they're good savers and they're younger, you can get to zero. Yeah, and that's a modification of our share redemption. It's called a spousal rule and redeem. So I do this yeah. a lot with younger doctors, or particularly dentists, because dentists tend to get saving faster than doctors. But just to pay with a wide brush, but, well, but their debt typically is less when they get out of school. Sure. Yeah. So what happens is that rather than the estate acquiring the shares upon death, the spouse receives them pursuant to a spousal rollover. And in this instance, again, life insurance is critical. You will create that capital dividend credit upon the death of the insured. But because you're redeeming the shares from an individual, a corporeal being, rather yeah. than an the estate, estate. That, that, that trust. We haven't triggered that first level of tax. You, 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 well, you don't have a deemed disposition, yeah. and there is no stop-loss rules. Yeah. So, you mean, it is theoretically possible, I've illustrated it many a time, where zero is a potential tax rate on corporate redemption in these instances. When you get into the very, very high net worth folks, your insurance costs can be quite astronomical yeah. or very high, in which case we probably have a prudent well, conversation. astronomical about, compared to what is yeah. the issue, right? We're yeah. talking about losing 70% of something. I mean, the, that's that's the advantage that we often spell out. End of the day, the, you know, you're going to pay something for insurance, but that number is going to be a heck of a lot lower. And, there's, and again, there's there's cases. prudent use of leverage and financing Absolutely. insurance too. So you, yeah. can, you can really mitigate the impact of cash flow. So let's talk about that. So, okay. So we've talked about different strategies for how we basically deal with this and with massive impact differences. I mean, we're talking more than 4X differences in taxation, right? right? Which, you know, again, it was as I was starting out with earlier, the fact that the tax code is this convoluted doesn't really service the Canadian consumer, but it does mean that business owners need to take the time to get the right professionals in place to make sure that their families are going to definitely benefit from what it is that they've built. So now let's go on to the insurance. We'll go back to the insurance piece. So one of the pushbacks is always quite simply like, oh, you know, basically I could do a better return in my business or why would I pay this? Well, the trade-offs are, as I said, one, well, you're going to have a tax bill one way or another. Would you rather pay a couple dollars, you know, pennies to the insurance company or dollars to the, to the government, your choice, depending on the, the math of it. Let's talk about how we can reduce the cost of insurance through leverage. How's that work? Well, we've already started down the road. I have four questions that I pose to the client, usually result, resulting in a 15 to 20 page treatise. So the first thing I, I ask is, do you need the coverage? And, and, and we go through intensive financial planning and rip the corporation apart and try to get a good sense of realistic tax liabilities. And the answer will come back, yes. In most cases, you need the coverage because you're buying, you're funding your liability at a discounted rate. That's all insurance does. That and it's mm-hmm. a big accordion folder. The second is, can you afford it? Which is an understanding of cash flow because you cannot impair their cash flow. And unfortunately, there are charlatans in our industry who will use financial alchemy to do just that. So being cognizant of that and, of course, uh, the, the psychology of 
insurance and of cash flow. Nobody wants to buy life insurance other than insurance agents. <laughs> no one ever wakes up and says, today's my day. I'm going to, I'm going yeah. to make it happen. Yeah, I'm gonna buy life insurance. Honey, it's Patrick. He bought life insurance. I remember yeah. that ad. I mean, it's the, like, the, it's uh, a great commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so no one, had never no one actually wants to buy it. But <laughs> if you focus on the tax liability, on the tax planning, on creating an asset from day one, so creating significant cash flow as fast as po- or cash value as possible. These things mitigate against the psychology of it. So the second question is an understanding of cash flow. Can they afford it? Mm-hmm. Are they ready to afford it? The third question is, can you do better with this money that we're going to put into a policy? Mm-hmm. Invariably, because of course, real estate never goes down in this fair city. Let's, let's never go. Let's yeah. not go there. But nevertheless, uh, the, the, the real estate bugs believe that and yeah. will believe nothing else. And so. some of the investment people too. But it's what will happen is that they'll always come back and say yes. And usually the smart ones are the entrepreneurs. They say, listen, I've got a 20% IRR in my company. I can do better. Yeah, absolutely. So so this is where the fourth question comes on and I, and I put on my lawyer's hat and I say, okay, what's your gut sense of risk? And then we nuclear test the transaction. We show stress-tested numbers, lower performance in the policy, what uh, increase in, in borrowing costs, what happens if an unforeseen event happens and we have to take this down, what are the tax consequences? Yep. Because it's a complex transaction. So the steps pretty much are policy gets established. And I think I talked about this in the show before, you can put additional funds into a policy depending on the type yep. and that creates a cash value. What we're doing here is we're cutting the check to the insurance company and then turning around and borrowing that cash that's within that policy. You're, bo- right you're securing out. against, you're collateralizing the policy and securing exactly. against that. So it gives rise to interest rate deductions and yeah. a deduction of something called yeah, so net cost. cost of pure insurance. Yep. So the impact to cash flow is extremely, it's attractive in the sense yeah. that you, you can keep most of your money. And this is how most of the large case planning driven insurance cases are being done in the country overwhelmingly. But it works. I mean, it it, it, first of all, it reduces the, the out, out-of-pocket outlay because now I'm getting back a lot of what I put in, most of what I put in. I'm getting these additional, yeah, I got to pay interest now, but I'm getting a deduction on that. I'm getting a deduction on CPI. Yeah. So that reduces that. And frankly, I can wipe out the loan anytime I choose as long as I haven't blown exactly. up the investment. And, and you need to have proper advice. There are riskier versions or more aggressive versions of that transaction, but the client has to first have a fundamental understanding at a DNA level, comfort level of dealing with, with debt. I usually tell the client, you're not going to have this paid off at death. This is an intermediate strategy that at some point you're going to sell an asset, the business, who yeah. knows, take the loan out because yeah. then the policy just becomes an absolute war chest of tax when you decide money. When you decide to retire and you want to stop playing this game, you can wipe out the loan. Right. But if you die between now and then, then yeah, the loan will be taken care of by the insurance policy. Exactly. So it can work in the right scenario with the right parties. It works very well. Again, there is some aggressive use out there. Our friends at CRA are, I believe, starting to police this stuff. Oh, well, we've seen that. There's been a lot of change to insurance law in the last four, sure. four to six years. Yeah, I mean, most of it's just been updating, not yeah. so much. Like the, the 2016 exempt trust changes were just updating for interest rates and mortality. And yeah, that's fine. Not a real problem. And, yeah. and competent folks like yourself and myself in the industry were able to deal with that. Where and realize it was necessary. Yeah. People were living longer. Sure. It just didn't make sense to give them the same kind but, of But distance. there's always, you know, there's the, the, the chicken little, uh, the sort you know, sky is falling mentality that they're going to get rid of capital dividend credits. And of course they're not. They will. Oh, they did that. No, I know. It's not happening. I, no. I think they're, you're more likely to see further policing and further attention to what they determine to be aggressive aggressive use. But if you go into it with eyes open and you're properly advised and you 
you don't undertake financial alchemy and then mm. remember the golden rule in tax, pigs get fat and hogs get, get slaughtered. slaughtered. I think you're fine. I mean, I've undertaken many of these transactions. I'm very comfortable with it. We engage a, a team of, of folks like yourself with lots of letters beside their names to yep. make sure that it works. Yep. And at the end of the day, it comes down to the business owner and their choice. I mean, their choice is quite simple. They can either do nothing and hope the people left behind or know enough to basically get something taken care of within the time frame allotted. Otherwise, they're going to leave behind a unbelievable minority of what was left behind for them, which doesn't make any much, much sense, mm-hmm. or take it upon themselves to do a little bit of planning up ahead of time. Right. Yeah, you know what? Everything we talked about is complex. Like, you know, the average business owner is not going to follow along everything we said today. But frankly, putting together the right team with the accountant, the well, lawyer, the, the, well, the lawyer, one of, lawyer. One of my mantras is that, because I get people saying this is complex, and hey, it is. Look yep. at the size of the Income Tax Act. My job, your job, is very straightforward. We can make this understandable. We cannot make this simple. No. Simple is a sales pitch. Well, and as I say to clients all the time who basically come to me and they're like, I live, lead a simple life. Well, you're an American citizen. You have a corporation, an operating corporation. You have property in other countries. No, you don't. It's, yeah, not and, simple. And you know, well, I want a simple plan. It's like, well, then, then sell everything and renounce your citizenship because, frankly, we can't make a complex situation easy and simple on the estate planning route. It's just not the case. And I would tell them never to renounce because if they renounce for tax purposes, they will be barred entry to the U.S. Potentially, yes. Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's, renouncing is not as hard as people think it is, but it... For avoid ta- avoid yeah. it. It's, oh, it's, not, it's not necessarily what you want to do because it really isn't that big a pain in the butt. But again, if you're a U.S. citizen, there's certain degrees of planning you got to do, and there's complexity to that. You can't escape it. So you either... either Take the chances on not letting me back in the country, or you basically plan around it. And the other thing, just as you're talking about U.S. citizenship, insurance planning is wonderful stuff. And you should know, as you do, that the U.S. rules uh, governing permanent life insurance are very Very different different than ours. And if you are a U.S. citizen or a U.S. person and you want to buy a robust Canadian policy for purposes of funding your tax liabilities, as we talked about Mm -hmm. today, arguably you can't. Uh, You need to have actuarialize on what you're looking at to make sure that you're compliant with the IRS because they will tax you on the growth of the policy yep. where the Canadians won't and death benefits are not necessarily received tax-free mm-hmm. and estate tax perils and all kinds of stuff subject of a whole different talk. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, besides having the cross-border expert in there who understands the tax situation, you also need to make sure that the company that you're dealing with and the policy you're dealing with it can play within those rules, and right. not every Canadian policy does, that's for sure. No, most don't. I mean, most whole life policies don't fit. Yeah. So it's good. Coming from the actuarial world, I know a number of, of folks who are very good at, at uh, cross-border uh, compliance. If your uh, listeners need help, they can contact you, and we can gladly pass along those names. Great. Well, Trevor, this has been a heavy-lifting topic, uh, but one that's very important because when we start talking about tax rates that are, that are north of 70, yeah, if not, you don't They're do not morally defensible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, this is big money, right? Like, I mean, th- we're not doing this. We're not talking about this for key people who have holding companies that are sitting on $20,000, right? Like, these are people you know, who and, use and these And remember, things. our dear friends in government want you to do nothing. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's... The choice is you educate yourself, get the right people in place, you basically do the right planning. It's going to cost you a little bit, and it's going to cost you a fraction of what they would otherwise receive if you did nothing. Right. They, they win every time someone doesn't plan. So thanks for coming in. This was, again, a heavy lifting topic, but uh, an important one. Where can people find you? Uh, Trevor at TrevorPerry.com. That's Perry with an A. Excellent. Thanks again.
So that was my interview with Trevor Perry. As I warned you, this got pretty heavy and the tax rates got extortionate. So hopefully this resonated with many of you and has made you realize that you need to do some planning around the assets within your holding company to make sure that those assets go primarily to your family and not to the government. As always, this has been the Financial Planning for Business Owners podcast. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For more episodes, go to jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.